You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. My name is Richard Stamen. You probably know me better as at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Got a good episode for you today. The draft is just two weeks away, uh, two weeks from this Thursday. So going to be trying to pump up, uh, excuse me, pump out as much content as possible. Um, in this episode, I'm going to be going over one of the quickest risers, JT Thor. He's put, He was someone who I saw as a second round guy. Now I think he could go um, in the first round, potentially even in the lottery. So he's a really big riser. And I'm going to do that with the help of my guy at Cozy Lido on Twitter. Going to also go over second-round prospect Joel Ayayi from Gonzaga, and then also Evan Mobley, a top-three pick from USC. But today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, so stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. So I'm just going to dive right into it. Evan Mobley is the first scouting report um, that I'm doing on this. I'm going to go actually a little bit out of order of what I introduced this at. So I apologize if that's what you're looking for, but Evan Mobley, someone who over the weekend, there was a, I, I don't want to do like any slamming or anything, but you know, I saw people starting to question his motor because of a report that um, a scouting report that was put out from a Houston site. And I'll just be straight up front. He does not have a motor issue. It was something cited from his junior year of high school where um, it was taken wildly out of context. It was, it was a complete non-issue turned into an issue. He never showed any motor issues at USC. We don't know what the motor is like off the court, but you could say that about 99% of the draft class. So that's irrelevant to even comment on. So I want to go in on him. He is a freak. He didn't measure at the combine because the top of the draft really never does. He is seven foot two ten. He averaged 16.4 points per game, 8.7 rebounds, 2.4 assists, just under a steal a game, three blocks a game, and two turnovers per game. And that was on 58% from the field, 30% from three, and 69% from the free throw line. Um, and then I also, in my scouting report, I'm going to just introduce this because this very well may be your first time listening. I know with the draft coming up, I'm getting a lot of new listeners. So I'll run through how I do this. So I'll generally do the selling point, the tools, the pros, and the cons. I'll go, that's going to be the in-depth stuff. Expected role, um, comparisons, draft range for Evan Mobley. This is a very simple one. Um, and then worst case scenario and best case scenario. So for Evan Mobley, the tools for him are he's a great athlete with really good length. He's versatile. He can protect the rim and he can score. He is an ideal modern five. Um, the way I've said it on other podcasts, if you listen to any other Locked On podcast and have heard me talk about Evan Mobley, you probably heard me say it. He's an oversized forward more than he is a center. He is not a true big man. He's not like a DeAndre Aiden who the, he was always going to be a big man. It's Evan Mobley's forced to play big man because he's seven feet tall. He's a six foot eight player in a seven foot player's body with wingspan, probably close to seven six. So he is a freak on that side. Uh, just the physical element. He's a great athlete, incredible vertical leap, which that and his long arms make him a monster shot blocker. That's why he averaged three blocks a game, which is just absurd. He's a really good rebounder. I think the numbers, you know, only 8.7 rebounds per game. Could have been a lot better if he, you know, I think in NBA spacing, it's just the way the rebounding's get, the rebounds, excuse me, get distributed. It's going to favor him a lot. 
and rebounding translates. He's got nine a game. That's plenty good. Um, he cuts and moves well off ball. Kind of a weird thing for me to put for big men, but here I am. He put, uh, you know, he can find angles to sneak in under the rim. Really good at that. That's a huge plus for him, along with the fact that he can finish at the rim at a really high level. According to Synergy, he finished 67% of his shots at the rim, which is phenomenal. The league, the NCAA average for all positions was 54%. So that's really, really promising. He's a good passer, especially against the zone. And when you find him in the pick and roll, which is a huge strength of his in general, he can not only finish well, but he can also pass and find the open shooter really well. So it, it, it's, it helps modernize offenses by having him as that role man. He also has really good post-touch. He has an unbelievable hook shot that I don't think gets enough credit. Um, I don't know how often he's into it just because he's so skinny and can get beat, beat around. But he has deep range with the hook shot, and that's something that, you know, you don't, when you're 7 foot t- 210, you're probably not, like, getting bodied at the free throw line where he'll start to post up, which is a weird thing. But for Mobley, when he's starting up that range, you have to be prepared for the shot because he can make it from the free throw line. He can do post hooks from the free throw line, which is really weird. And then lastly, he's really good in transition. Um, can run the floor, can dunk, obviously excellent finisher. It's even better in transition. The weaknesses, I only have four. He needs to add strength. He is a stick right now. Absolutely skinny, but I also don't think that's really that much of a problem. Uh, We've seen skinny players do just fine on the defensive end early in their career. He'll probably, which in turn, you know, he'll probably struggle against post-ups in the NBA. So put him against like Anthony Davis, he might get exposed a little bit. He has to speed up his jump shot. He has a really high start and release but it's a little bit slow, so it can negate that. And then defensive awareness, I think it's a that's something that it's minor, but I think it's a little bit hidden in college because for Mobley, you know, there's no defensive three in the key in college. And I think Mobley was able to camp out in the paint and hunt some blocks. And I think it hid the fact that sometimes when he was put in pick and rolls and some other man-to-man situations, he looked a little bit lost in rotations. I think that NCAA kind of hid that, and that's something I'm very interested to see in the NBA. And that's probably the area he struggles with the most in the NBA. So for the comparisons I put to him, I hate comparing guys to all-stars in general, um, although I'll completely violate that rule I have uh, not only here, but when I next week when I do the Jalen Green episode because I, put, um, I, I am very upset with myself, but I couldn't not. I put Kobe as a comparison, like in terms of play style, and I'm going to kind of do something similar here. Evan Mobley has a similar play style. It's low-hanging fruit to Anthony Davis, that two-way post player that can stretch the floor and potentially handle the ball. I really do like his ball handling upside. He's been able to show some between-the-legs dribbles into jump shots, which is really promising for a seven-footer. And then also DeAndre Aiden. They have a lot of similar um, I, I think just overall similarity, some potential to shoot, you know, the awareness issues were something that were flagged on Aiden, obviously still a great player. And in these finals, he's been crucial and he's going to be, you know, he's going to get you your top five return on value. There's no question about that. Mobley's a very similar mold. I don't see him going before. I don't see him going number one and I don't see him going number four. He'll be gone by four, still there at one, uh, or excuse me, still there at two. So he's either the second or the third pick. His expected role is he's a starting big man with all-star upside as a two-way big man with some wing skills, like I said, being that oversized wing, wing, and that gives him elite versatility in the league. It's someone you can't play off the floor. His worst-case scenario is that his jump shot doesn't develop, and 
his awareness off ball defensively limits his impact um, as a scorer and rebounder and just a man-to-man defender on ball defender. So those that's something that's more of a ceiling limiter, not a floor uh, worry, I guess, is the word I would use for it. It doesn't really worry me about his floor. Like he's going to stick regardless. He exceeds expectations. His best case scenario is pretty much, it, it all comes down to the jump shot. Does it develop? If he turns into a league average shooter, he might be the best player in the class. It's it's that much of a swing skill, but I also don't think it's going to fail. I think it's how good is it, not will it be good. So that's the Evan Mobley scouting report. I hope that this helped. Um, again, you notice I didn't use a motor issue because it's not an issue, but I really hope that this helps get a better idea if you're a Rockets fan or a Cavs fan. Um, I'll just address this really quickly. They have similar issues in this. You take Evan Mobley one over Christian Wood and you take him over Jared Allen, but also they can co- he can coexist with anybody. He's not someone that you have to go you know, can he fit with this player? He doesn't have that fatal flaw that makes it hard. You know, year one, in, for example, in Cleveland, it might be hard to, to figure out maximizing lineups with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. But when the jump shot is projected to come along, it doesn't really matter. They can play together. Like I said, it's an oversized wing with a true center. Um, so I don't think that's an issue. And then Christian Wood, Look, if you're with all due respect, Christian Wood is awesome. He's a really good player who is underpaid, but he is not someone that you're worrying about with the second pick. So take Evan Mobley if you want him. Jalen Green is also a completely fine pick. Uh, but that's just a little shout out for the Rockets and Cavs fans because I don't see either team trading out of the pick. I think he's going to go to Houston or Cleveland. But um, when I come back, uh, or well, actually, first, I'm going to do the Mikkel Ultra Player of the Week. This week's Michelob Ultra Player of the Week is Kenneth Lofton Jr. I went, I switched it up a little bit, going to the U19s that just happened. Kenneth Lofton Jr. stole the show. Um, he averaged 13 points per game on 65% shooting, had five rebounds as well, and um, you know, was just one of the big storylines of the FIBA U19s. While Chet Holmgren did get, you know. Deservedly so. He got MVP. He got most of the coverage. Kenneth Lofton really made a name for himself. I don't know if he's an NBA prospect just because he is so big but isn't you know tall enough. Uh, he's someone who I got to see at Louisiana Tech in the Conference USA tournament. This is, uh, if you remember my Charles Bassey episode, I talked about some of Louisiana Tech's talent. I uh, don't know if I name dropped him or not, but you know he was one of the guys that is part of their young core, and he really made a name for himself. So I'm very excited for him. Um, I think he'd brought absolute joy and happiness to the United States, um, you know, fans and really just made himself a household name for the U S. So that was Michelob Ultra's this week's Michelob Ultra player of the week. Just remember, you know, it's only not 2.6 carbs and 95 calories and it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Enjoy creates success, but enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. I've used it myself personally. Um, It is honestly life-changing. It is something unlike anything I've ever used before. So a little background, Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. You really don't hear it on. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of pain by releasing tension, using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. 
Whether you want to treat your muscle muscle tension from working out or just an injury or the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. It also has an OLED screen and design and makes you feel like you're holding something from the future. It also has an app to go with it that learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by you know, 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid. Really high-level athletes use it, like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of other customers, and myself included. I don't know if I'm in that, if I'm worthy of being listed with those people, but I I do use it as well. So try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com/lockedon right now to and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com/lockedon theragun.com slash locked on. So for this next segment, I'm actually just going to let, I, I, I asked someone, one of my close Twitter friends, his handle is at Cozy Lito. I actually don't even know his real name. So I probably should have done this research before even, you know, posting this and, and submitting this, but I'm going to let my guy at Cozy Lito take it away. This next segment is just going to be his personal scouting report on JT Thor. He's an outstanding follow. He really knows his stuff. He's someone who I've gotten closer with. I knew him from Reddit as well from there. He's one of the few smart people on NBA Draft subreddit. I'm a big fan. Um, he is going to tell you about JT Thor and why, you know, I think he's the leader of the JT Thor movement and why he is such a big fan and why he should be on the rise on both your board and the mainstream board. I would like to just start off by giving a big thanks to Rich for letting me spread the gospel of Thor and debuting a cheesy, but in my opinion, justified nickname, Alaskan Thunder. JT Thor is my favorite sleeper in the class, um, or maybe he was, depending on your definition. He's a prospect who didn't really pop onto my radar as a one-and-done talent until January. In the last month or so, he's been dramatically trending up on both mainstream and amateur big boards, in large part due to his name getting more exposure at the Combine and with tape from pre-draft workouts. I've had him in my top 20 for a while, but I think he has a legit case within the top 10. I'm hoping that I can convince you that all this hype is worth it. Maybe. Um, His background measurables feel extra relevant, so let's start there. JT Thor was born in Nebraska, but raised in Alaska, hence the nickname. Oddly enough, he's not the only draft prospect this year to call Alaska home. He used to play with Dacian Knicks growing up, which was fairly recently as he just started playing organized basketball six years ago when he was in the seventh grade. At 14 years old, he moved to West Virginia and played two seasons at the prestigious Huntington Prep School, a program best known for producing former number one pick Andrew Wiggins. Thor played his final high school season at Norcross in Georgia, where he received All-State honors and cemented himself as a consensus four-star recruit, with offers from programs such as Kansas, Kentucky, Arizona, Memphis, and Oregon. And as you probably know, he ended up committing to Bruce Pearl in the Auburn Tigers. Now onto the measurables. This is where truly Thor shines on paper, as he had pretty modest per-game averages at Auburn but his tools are what have really been fueling the, the growing intrigue around his potential. Up until the, this past month, uh, most sources, including Google and Auburn's very own website, had Thor listed as a 2001 birthday, but according to the man himself and some other reliable sources, this is wrong and he's actually an 02 birthday. This made him the, young, the sixth youngest prospect on my board, only older than Josh Primo, Rocco Percussion, Josh Giddy, Jonathan Kaminga, and Jaden Springer. 
and I cannot exaggerate how much this brightens up both the film and productivity of his year at Auburn. This information informs us of just how early along he is with not just his physical development, but also the development of his perimeter skills and feel for the game. For perspective, he's over a year younger than other one and done in this class, like Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley. So this is context that you've constantly got to remind yourself when evaluating his weaknesses. He's, he's just starting to expand his game, and I think he's learning quickly. Another aspect that can't be ignored when evaluating Thor are his physical tools, specifically his wingspan and standing reach. Thor is lanky and long as hell, and it doesn't take more than a couple of seconds of film to notice. Um, his measurements at the Combine confirmed that he'd make an excellent Slenderman for Halloween. Um, he measured in at just above 6'9 inches and just over 200 pounds, with an official wingspan of just over 7 foot and 3 inches. Uh, but what I view as the most valuable measurement on record is his impressive 9 foot 2 inch standing reach, good for top 5 in the Combine. For a comparison, that's only an inch shorter than DeAndre Eaton's and on par with Nicholas Claxton. Um, who, despite being taller. And if you thought Thor was skinny, Claxton actually recorded a lower body fat percentage at his combine, despite being a year older. So, my point being is that Thor's tools enable him to be predictable as a 5 in some lineups, which is an essential ability for a versatile front court player. I think his pathway to early minutes is comparable to Jaden McDaniels, who was arguably last year's biggest sleeper. They both share an ability to make the most of their physical tools on defense, enabling them to be where opponents don't really expect them to be. Thor's intersection of fluidity and size is elite. It might have been the best in the class if it weren't for Evan Mobley. And because of this, Thor can legitimately contain some NBA guards on the perimeter. His lateral mobility, quick twitch athleticism, and fluidity all coalesce into an unrefined but highly switchable big defender. If you've been studying NBA trends, you'd notice NBA offenses have been seemingly been been getting better and better at creating advantages at the point of attack and beating perimeter defenders, regardless of defensive scheme. Defenses have never been so overwhelmed with difficult choices, which consistently put individual defenders in no man's land, straight up vulnerable. Uh, this has put a premium price on ground coverage, uh, as the ability to close these compromising gaps has never been so valuable. And this is where Thor shines. He's, he's very intimidating as a closeout uh, defender, especially on the perimeter. He blocks jumpers that very few can. His big hands and strides really come in handy when it comes to his impressive 5.8% block rate. I'm sorry. Relative to his class, the only one and done prospect who played as many minutes as he did while also registering a higher block rate is, surprise, Evan Mobley. Uh, Thor's ability to eat up space with his closeouts is special, or at least special enough for me to warrant a Pascal Siakam comparison, who, outside of maybe Giannis, is arguably the best closeout defender in the world. His tools enabled him to have a 6.2% block rate over two seasons at New Mexico State, albeit in a worse conference. Just some food for thought. Uh, Thor is unsurprisingly a vertical presence with his tools as well, but he's one with good defensive instincts. He can actually anticipate offensive actions, processing the floor very well for an 18-year-old, especially in the SEC. He's consistently great at timing blocks, and he's a potential menace in the passing lanes. His fingertips affect lazy passes and loose balls to a notable degree, uh, which help him play in transition for easy office, offense. Uh, the only really limiting weakness on this end are his lack of strength and waning engagement, both of which are exposed in his rebounding numbers, but given all the positives, it's a relatively nice problem to have. I feel confident his frame will fill out considering his age and this archetype's track record. I'm not saying this is going to be his case at all, but look at the, the physical development of Giannis. I'm by, I, I just, the potential is there. I'm not saying it's going to be probable to happen, but we've seen body types like this take some pretty significant strides. 
Uh, Jonathan Isaac and Kevin Durant are both examples of frames that didn't necessarily fill out, but were both still high-level defenders because their length was able to compensate. And so to wrap up on the defense, I think he'll be capable of playing at both the four or five, depending on the lineup. He'll offer valuable defensive versatility and some playmaking, and in return enable some team-building flexibility. It doesn't really matter who you pair him up with long-term, as he should be able to contribute regardless of the roster around him. It's just a matter of opportunity and time. And I think he earns this opportunity not just as a defensive presence, but also as an, a legit offensive weapon. Thor profiles as a face-up forward in the half court. His perimeter skill set is still clearly developing, but he has some very inspiring and borderline intoxicating flashes. Where I've invested my hopes in is in the belief that his mediocre three-point shooting numbers aren't actually reflective of his ability. It's the most important projection for his game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think his jumper is unorthodox. It might be just he's a lefty, but it's still smooth, compact, and repeatable. He has an extended dip, and he gathers the ball across his body, but I think some slight tweaks to his feet and gathering process are all, are all he really needs to fix. I'm just a big fan of how high his shot release is and just how confident he shoots. He's not really phased by contests, and I just feel good about it leaving his hand more often than not. If you zoom out a bit, you can. he's a very impressive shooter when you consider that his age, his height, his free throw percentage, and volume. The list of names that you can keep up with him on all four of those categories is very, very short. Uh, Thor only shot 29% from three, but it was on only 74 attempts. If he got five more shots to roll in, he'd be up to over 36% from three, which would place him in the league company considering his archetype. So just some context. Uh, he's a, streak, a streaky shooter who just needs some consistency. So I also think it's worth mentioning that the team context wasn't, wasn't ideal or beneficial for Thor. Auburn was a radically different team with Sharif on the court, and sadly that wasn't really the case for most of the year. Due to the difference in shot quality, Thor shot 24.3% from three without Cooper, and that spiked up to 35.1% when Cooper was playing. Um, so he should theoretically benefit a ton playing off an NBA primary creator. I feel very confident he'll be at least an average catch and shoot threat for his position, but that's not why I buy him as a lottery guy. What sells me as a lottery guy is that his shot versatility. It really justifies the hype for me. He can be a nightmare as a trailing shooter. If you just gotta watch his game at Kentucky to see that in full action. He can shoot off movement and relocation. He can hit sidestep and step back threes. But the most intriguing flashes that Thor showed were his off-the-dribble pull-up jumpers. He looks great going from dribble into shot, especially when you remember he's practically an 18-year-old 6-foot-10-inch wing. I've seen him take 1-2 dribble pull-ups, short-range turnaround fadeaways, and pull-up threes. It's, it's wild to see him look pretty comfortable creating separation with hang dribbles between the leg crossovers and step-back threes off the dribble. His special movement skills that manifest themselves on the defensive end can leak into his perimeter game at times. A facet of his game where this also applies to is with his ability to attack closeouts. Developing a convincing pump fake will be lethal as he attacks closeouts with the same ground coverage he does on the defensive end. He's an overwhelming slasher once he gets downhill with long strides and extension that often lead to thunderous dunks or a pair of free throws. He needs to be able to consistently punish aggressive and hard closeouts. And a big part of that is, I think, his dribbling. Um, I think dribbling is one of the hardest skills to project significant strides in, and that's why I'm not overly optimistic that he'll be handling the ball much in the NBA, especially anytime soon. But relative to other prospects near his height, especially in this class, how many can replicate his ball handling? I share my friend Adi's opinion that there are indicators that suggest upside for dribbling improvements, and according to him, the indicator with Thor is his pull-up fluidity. 
uh, shout out to at Rolandius, one of the most underrated NBA Twitter accounts. Uh, just shout out. Basically, his theory boils boils down to his foundation of shooting proficiency, plus his self creation tools and Thor's case fluidity and height. This should equal some indication of radical handle development. The optimization here comes from recognizing the fact that being tall means your skill development lags behind a bit. And when you consider his pull-up game and jumper looking as smooth as they do along with his age, it's not absurd to project scenarios where the handle has some outlier development. He doesn't have to be Paul George or Iso Joe. He just needs to be comfortable enough to get to his spots and occasionally run some pick and roll in order to reach legitimate all-star upside. In transition, he glides up and down the court. His fluidity and mobility especially shine in the open court. His length and strides shrink the court for him. Not only a great athlete, but also skilled enough to handle the ball and take it coast to coast. As we're going to find an open court athlete with his dimensions that handles the ball as well as he does, especially this early and often. I don't see this. I don't see why this wouldn't translate. He has some interesting flashes of a Euro step, some surprisingly balanced spin moves, and I could even see him becoming a great finisher despite his frame right now. I think he might have a bit of that Siakam weirdo touch near the paint, where off-balance shots just seem to find a way to drop. Um, partly due to the way he jumps, I don't think he really projects as an elite lob threat in the NBA, especially to the same extent as other high-upside versatile bigs in the class, such as Kai Jones or Isaiah Jackson. This might surprise some of you guys, considering some of the alley-oops he received from Sharif, but he doesn't really have the same quick low time or two-foot jumping. Instead, he's oddly comfortable with jumping off one foot at his size, so just something to note. So, so far, I've outlined a 6'10'' wing that can both shoot off movement like a Jaron Jackson Jr. and go coast-to-coast to finish like a Pascal Siakam. That's an insanely intriguing recipe, without even applying the off-the-dribble flashes or the defensive versatility. This is the easy case for Thor. He's a theoretically a 6'10'' two-way, toolsy wing that should be able to shoot and defend better than the average player at his position. His only weaknesses being his passing, rebounding, and strength aren't really deal-breakers. They're easy traits I think he can compensate for early, which makes me feel like he can get minutes early on, as every team should use could use more shooting and defense. He's not as raw as you'd think due to his baseline of, of shooting and defense. Uh, my bud Brian Kalbrowski of USA Today had a stat query that I think captured how rare and special this archetype is. And it's that since 2008, the only other freshman with a block percentage at above 5%, who attempted at least 5.5 three-pointers per 100, and recorded a free throw rate above 44.5% were lottery picks, Jonathan Isaac, and Jaron Jackson Jr. That's it. I personally think he's the best shooting bet out of Scotty Barnes, Jalen Johnson, Usman Garuba, and Rocco Percussion. I think he's up there with Rocco and Jalen as an imposing transition threat in the full court. He's got an argument as the best defensive prospect long-term, keeping up with Scotty and Usman due to the, his tools and mobility, in my opinion. And plus, he's a whole year younger than Scotty, while also already being a latecomer to the sport, which to me indicates that he could be very early on to his developmental curve. Um, so yeah, he's admittedly a projection-heavy evaluation, there's no doubt about that. But he's as good a candidate for outlier development as any. Thor had an appealing season when you consider that A, how late he got into basketball, and B, the inherent problems he had finding a role that suits him, because his handle isn't good enough to make him a perimeter offensive player, and he wasn't truly strong enough yet to be the versatile play finisher I think he could be. I'm expecting a high rate of development due to his age, and even though his high-end outcomes are unlikely, isn't that what makes analyzing the draft fun? He's an upside bet, and I, I realize his high-end outcomes aren't likely to happen, but there's precedence for guys in his archetype to experience developmental breakthroughs. I think Thor can become a good three-point shooter who can hit pull-up threes, and a good dribbler for a wing, not just good for a big good. 
Having the creativity and philosophy to attempt to envision these optimistic breakthroughs is what makes the draft a challenging exercise. The draft to me is all about hope and finding the most hopeful outcomes available. Looking for boom over bust. And Alaskan Thunder definitely brings the boom. I'd like to just shout out Thomas and Kara, aka at Ben Thrifty, at A Nocturnal Duck, and at Brian J Draft for being as early, if not earlier than me, enjoying the Thor Hive. I just happen to be louder and a lot more obnoxious about my love for Thor. Uh, thanks again to Rich and anyone else who finished listening to this. I really appreciate it. This has been Buttermilk Jesus, and this has been my JT Thor breakdown slash rant. So really appreciate that from Buttermilk Jesus. Uh, my quick, real, real quick rundown on JT Thor, 30 seconds or less. Um, I'm all in on him as well. I would take him as high as 10, maybe even 8 for Orlando. We've seen Orlando's um, front office when they were when uh, Weltman was in um, Milwaukee. You know, he took Thon Maker at 10, and there were some other circumstances around that, but we've seen bigger risks be taken. He needs to get better at his right hand. His feel for the game is okay, and he might struggle defensively in the pick and roll and advanced plays, but his flashes and upside of putting the ball on the floor, shooting, moving well laterally one-on-one, really being able to create for himself is just such a high upside play. I really think he's someone that you should get to know better. Really look him up. You'll really enjoy it. So I'm going to talk about Rock Auto, and then the last scouting report will be Joel Ayayi. This episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local auto chain parts store to stock all the parts you need. You know, you have to answer, you know, is your Odyssey an LX or EX or, you know, there's someone in front of you at the counter, things like that. So why not go online to rockauto.com and bypass the line and um, you can save time and money with Rock Auto. So why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and Rock Auto prices are reliably low for everyone. They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution for your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on, and this one is going to be two words, L-O-C-K-E-D space O-N, and their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. So, as promised, I'm going to give you a quick scouting report on Gonzaga's Joel Ayayi. He is a junior from Gonzaga, by the way, of France. As a junior, he was on the All WCC, the West Coast Conference. Uh, he was a member of that team, so one of the best players in the conference. He averaged as a junior 12 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists per game, a steal a game, and 1.4 turnovers per game. And that was on shooting splits of 58% from the field, 39% from three, and 78% from the free throw line. So he didn't measure at the combine, um, unknown reasons why. I don't think it was a promise. I think there's something else up there. My hunch is he has, he's going to play pro. Um, probably back home in France for a year and then come back over as an undrafted free agent. That's my guess, but completely speculation. I have no source one way or another, and I might just be an idiot, and I might have completely missed something else that said otherwise. So excuse me if that's the case. But he met, he is 6'5", 180. That's per basketball reference. His tools are he's outstanding at pick and roll. His He's got good length. Whatever his wingspan is, I'd imagine it's close to 7 feet, and he's an outstanding defender. A little bit more in detail, really good vision, navigates 
pretty much around screens, both as a scorer and playmaker. He finished in the 99th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler and near 90th. I think he was also near 99th percentile as a cutter. He was just unbelievable in those two areas. Like he is a ridiculously strong cutter, really good in the pick and roll. And I think that speaks volumes to his basketball IQ. On top of that, he's a really good finisher at the rim. I think the length plays a part in that. He has a really good frame. He's and on defense and rebounding. You know, he's a good rebounder. You heard that he averages seven rebounds a game as a guard. It's unreal. That's probably the best in the entire class for any guard. And then he has really active hands on the defensive end. Forcing steals, like I said, a steal a game is really nice. The weaknesses and areas of improvement, he really needs to continue being a better shooter and just making it a more fluid jump shot form. While it's not broken by any means, it's just not very fluid. He can't shoot off the dribble. Low frequency, low success, not a good combination. He struggles going left. You can see he very much so favors going right, something that I think was hidden by playing the West Coast Conference. Um, you can hide that against weaker competition. And then he also just needs to add strength, but that's just about every player in the draft. So that's not really a big deal. But the selling point for him is if you want someone with defense, finishing ability, cutting, pick and roll, and overall basketball IQ and being able to play up from point guard, this is your guy. Some players I have listed similar. Marty Collins, he played for the Knicks uh, in the 2000s. And Frank Nielakina, also a Nick. But imagine if Frank Nielakina had a little bit tougher of a mindset. That's what I would give a Yayi. I don't see him going in the first round. Some people have started to climb on that. I do think if there was one team to go on in the first round, uh, and shout out David Locke, I think it would be the Utah Jazz because they are very hands-on analytically. Um, they, you know, it's a big reason why they took Yudoka Azubuki last year. He was one of their best analytic testing players that they had seen all year. And maybe they go with that same route because his efficiency as a point guard is absolutely stupid good. And like I said, if I think if he gets a first round pick, he may not go overseas. So that, that entire theory may just go out the window. Um, that theory that wasn't even really that polished. But other than that happening, I don't see him going before pick 40. I don't know if he'll get drafted, to be honest, so he has a kind of wide range. His expected role is to be a two-way guard that runs a bench unit pretty much out of the pick and roll. He's going to be the master of the pick and roll and probably that lead guard. His worst-case scenario, he gets played off the floor by not having a jump shot. I, I, I'll i touch on that after this um, to close it out, but and you know maybe that struggles, the struggles going left hold him back as a finisher that might negate his strong finishing success in college. His best case scenario is that his jump shooting translates, even if it's only the spot up shooting as what translates. So really quick about the, the jump shooting. I don't think it's terrible form. I just think the numbers really overstate his impact as a shooter. It gets hard to be just a spot up shooter when teams can know that they can pretty much collapse on you on the perimeter when you're off ball. And that if you catch a spot up jump shot, it makes it a lot harder to beat you off of if you get your man in the air. He d- took a lot of threes from the corner. That was a big spot for him. I I just think that there's a lot where if he's not doing one thing, which is just a stand-up shooter, uh, stand-up, stand-still, excuse me, spot-up shooter from the corner, what's he bringing as a shooter? And to me, that's virtually nothing. He can't shoot off the dribble, like I said. And the inability to go left is kind of a bad combination with that. So I I have some very serious reservations in thinking that the percentages highly overstate Ayayi's shooting impact, but... Um, still a very high IQ player who I I would imagine he's probably someone that you would want to bet as beating the, you know, 
the weaknesses and getting better at it, overcoming the odds on that. So that's my Joel Yayi scouting report. I really hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much again to Buttermilk Jesus, aka at Cozy Lido. Please give him a follow. That's C-O-Z-Y-L-I-T-O. He is an awesome draft follow. Really knows his stuff. Super interactive. One of the most down-to-earth people on the site. Can't say enough good things about him. So this is Evan Mobley, JT Thor, and Joel Iyayi. And don't forget, next week, the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey. It's going to be featuring Chad Ford, Brian Scalabrini, former GM Ryan McDonough, and some you know local lock, Locked On experts from the teams, and maybe or maybe not, uh, someone hosting a Locked On NBA Draft show will be on there. And that's going to be on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Odyssey is a home for all sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. So thank you so much for listening and check out Ultimate Mock Draft next week on Locked On.